Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, Becky. Hi, everybody. I feel like we need to start with an apology. We're like (laughs) 200 plus episodes in and we have not talked about grant writing. Community (laughs) friends, I am sorry, but guess what? We are going to redeem ourselves because we brought in such an amazing expert today who's going to fuel your grant writing mission and get you on fire to start writing. And I was going to give you a hard time, Becky, because of all the writing that you know how to do, this is some kind of writing that you don't know how to do. Oh my gosh. I I have been imposter syndrome and grant writing for several, (laughs) several years. And I can tell you, they do not love my adjectives. So I want (laughs) to learn from somebody else. Let's get into it. Yeah, we're so excited, friends. We have got Deronda Harrison on the podcast today. She's the founder and principal consultant behind June 1st Firm. And they do grant writing, and she has had incredible success. She's been in this sector a long time and has seen a really diverse array of different funders coming to the table. She's closed more than $25 million. That's a lot of grants, my friends. She also just loves pouring into her local community. She has been the Georgia chapter president for two years at the Grant Professionals Association. And let's just throw this on here. She has her MBA from Ashford University and her bachelor's from the amazing Tuskegee University I mean, what a pedigree. Welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. Hi, guys. I am so happy to be here. So, so happy to be here. Well, we're we're delighted to have this conversation today. So we want to get to know you, though. Tell us your story. Where'd you grow up? And kind of catch us up to where you are today. So, yeah, I started on my grant writing journey not knowing that that's what I was. So I began in the federal government working with businesses. Um, We managed a lot of federal contracts and basically we made sure businesses, once they got um, a federal contract, which they were awarded, they were following all the rules and regs and everything like that. Make sure that we don't send them any naughty notes, basically. (laughs) And while I was doing that full time, this was um, like my early 20s. I just my first real career. Still volunteering with nonprofits on the side and assisting them with like marketing and strategies. But individuals and colleagues would walk up to me and was like, hey, can you help us with grant writing? Um, hey, can you help us get grants? And I'm just looking at them like, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you even approaching me about this? So I started looking into it. Um, apparently, these people see something in me that I didn't see in myself. So I started going to like local grant writing training sessions and just took notes and absorbed information and learned all that I could. Our first grant was a 21st century big federal grant. So you know, if anybody's in the grant world, they would know. I was like, oh, they just threw you into the deep end. So yeah, that was my experience. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that was my experience um, into grants. And she literally kind of trained me or coached me on that one grant. And then after that, I was kind of like, all in. I eventually ended up resigning from the federal government to do it full time. And I work with nonprofits um, in all different fields, healthcare, housing, um, a lot of human services, workforce development. And it ended up to where we are now. And I've been um, able to be successful and win multi-million dollars in grants um, up to today. Okay. We talk about growth mindset a lot on the podcast, you know, and we've already talked about imposter syndrome. I love that your story, you're just leaning into that 
you didn't know something. So you just started learning and growing. And it's like, if we're all honest, that's what all of our journeys look like. So I just thank you for breaking it down that way. Yeah. And I would also say, I feel like grant writers are the Fabergé eggs of the nonprofit <laughs> world. Like they're so rare and beautiful that we like handle them with kick gloves because <laughs> we're always looking for a grant writer. But I want to know like, what is the state of grant writing today in the nonprofit sector? We would love for you to just kind of set the tone for, you know, what are, what opportunities are out there and yeah, how can people kind of dip their toe into this just a little bit? Um, at this time, there are more opportunities than ever before. Um, there is a lane specifically for smaller nonprofits, um, those that have like annual budgets of $500,000 or less. There are funders, grant funders are saying explicitly, that's the eligibility require, requirement. You must be um, 500000 Your annual um, organizational operating budget has to be less than 500000 So there are doors that's open that's never been before. These um, smaller nonprofits that may have been shut out in the past, um, funders are like targeting them. They want to give to them. They're doing great work and they want to like prop them up to go, out, go after these opportunities. And also um, organizations that are minority-led, um, Black executive directors, Hispanic executive directors, female-led um, also, another eligibility criteria, I've seen a, a, a funder that specifically said we want to fund BIPOC-led programs and specifically BIPOC senior leadership organizations that may have been, again, sidelined in the past. Um, so there's opportunities um, more present than ever before. Um, it's a great time to really dab your feet into grant writing, especially for smaller nonprofits. How about, you know, when you're just starting, I mean, give us, you know, kind of the first steps for doing the research phase, obviously figuring out who you want to connect with and, and that piece is a good place to start. Where do you go to begin your research? I'm a bit nosy and I just tell people to be nosy. <laughs> so um, definitely check out, like if you're at the local community food bank in your region, check out the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Who's funding them? Go on their website, look at their sponsors, their corporate sponsors. Um, they have all the information on their annual report. They have all their donors listed. Like it's there, and I've used that information to um, check out who's given to organizations similar to mine or similar to those that I'm working with. And start there. And if you see a funder um, like Coca-Cola in Atlanta, everybody knows about Coke in Atlanta. They give a lot of money um, out, um, out here in this region and also um, other like foundations. Go to their 990s, public information is their tax form and see who they funded, who's, or what organizations are similar to theirs. And they're um, more than likely are funded a nonprofit that's similar to yours. See if you know somebody there, pick up the phone, make a um, make a call. Start a conversation. And even if it's um, a foundation that you don't know anybody, you don't know anybody on the trustee, you don't know anybody on the board, I tell people just pick up the phone and call them. I mean, what are they going to say to you? Introduce them to your nonprofit. No one can speak better to the things that you're doing than you can yourself and just tell them about the impact that you're making and you would love to partner with them. And that's how it starts. And just um, start there and then you just continue to build from there. Keep your list and just go from there. I love that because it's so much of a mindset work. I feel like like we, the only thing holding us back is, you know, scarcity. And if we can just 
fuel and just kind of channel all of that bravery mindset. Again, what's the worst thing that could ever happen in nonprofit? Somebody could tell us no. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) thanks for your time. Next. You know, and it's really like that. And so here's where I step into my confessional time. So I've, you know, I've been in nonprofit about 20 years and writer by trade and the federal grants scare the absolute bejesus out of me. And I have written many, many um, foundation grants, but I would love for you to kind of take the scary out of, or, or just be honest, maybe there is some reason that I have scarcity when applying for those federal grants, but talk to people who are really going after those federal grants. Where's a good place to start? How do you pace yourself? What are strategies that you employ when you're going into trying to get a big federal grant? I've been doing this for years. I started in federal grants, so I would say that's my strength in grant writing. I know, but I do not do them alone. If you've ever seen an RFP, they just go on and on. It's like they never end. Um, even as a solo grant writer, whenever I go out after a federal grant, I always enlist, um, reach out to colleagues, see if they have the capacity to help me with it before I submit, submit a proposal and tell someone that I can do it. I'm like, hey, let me check to see if I can work with a colleague on this because you got to have at least four eyes looking at a proposal, looking at, looking at the RFP. Um, so starting there and then collecting all the information, understanding the criteria, the eligibility, and then making sure that you share with um, nonprofits, what um, what you were just saying, Becky, what is um, required, what they will have to report out on, if they have to do monthly reports, quarterly reports. Um, I've been seeing more and more monthly reports, which can be a lot of time and resources. So yes, you're going to get this money, but is it worth your time? Will you have to hire someone just to manage this grant? So it's so many different things to consider, but just to take the fright out of it, don't do it by yourself also bringing your the program team they are part of this grant project as well um, it's not just the grant writers they have um, all the say they're telling you how the programs run they're the ones that are going to tell you how to um, talk about it and then of course it's your job to write it beautifully well I, we have the same brain and I want to jinx you because I was just about to say I think the grant game and the thing that people miss a lot especially if you're a fundraiser and you're writing you if you do it alone it's it's going to create some friction in your organization because there's a lot of endpoints that will be impacted in the organization. Programs, absolutely bring in programs. I would say even bring in somebody from your operations. I made this mistake once. I think I brought it up on the podcast before that we move forward with a major gift to a private foundation and didn't pull in our operations team who is going to have to actually do all the reporting on it. And when they found out how intense it was, that was like a lot of Starbucks I had to bring in over the course of <laughs> I know the next were not happy with you. <laughs> yes. And I, and I never did that again. And so learn from my mistakes and bring in a team, have a group conversation about this. If you have an ability to bring in donor relations, specifically, if this is for a private grant or a family foundation, because we really want to steward that gift well, and we want them to be seen. So You know, one of the themes of our community is that we really like working smarter, not harder. And so I would love for you to kind of break down some of what I would call like your secret sauce. What are some hacks that you have figured out that can help you move through grants more quickly? What's something we don't need to be spending so much time on? What are some tips that you have for kind of elevating a grant? Anything that you could give would be great for our community. Absolutely. Um, I would say my secret sauce to winning the number of grants that I've won is simply um, the pitch. 
The secret sauce is the pitch. Long before you put pen to paper or finger to keyboard, you have already introduced your nonprofit to grant funders. There has been a minimum of at least one conversation, hopefully two, whether that's an email or phone call, a Zoom meeting, um, pre-pandemic, you know, coffee in person, hanging out. Um, your application is should not be the first time that the organization has heard about you. The key is the pitch. You can um, be the best writer. You can have the best compelling narratives. You can highlight impact outcomes and um, have a strong evaluation metrics for your program, which is what funders like. But it's important to build relationships. They're people. People want to hear from people and they want to know who you are and, and what you have going on. And I believe that true is the reason to my success. By the time I start writing the grant, that those conversations have already happen. If you can help it, do not send any cold applications. And that's it. That's That's been um, the key. Okay. I love you so much for saying that. <laughs> I, need to, I need to create a hard stop and talk about this for a second, because this to me is, it seems basic, like, but I don't think people are doing this. And y'all, here goes my Oklahoma, y'all, we are hardwired to understand in development that it's all about cultivation. I mean, it's 80% cultivation all the time. The grant is no different. It has got to be warmed. And I love, we've had Delari Gandhi on from the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. And she has brought up this notion of you have to co-build with your program officer or with the actual grant giver. And so I think, you know, if you're coming in and warming up, and I, I love that you're saying that as an introvert, that you have to go in and actually start to get to know each other. And I got to put in a little plug for marketing here, because if you're putting in a grant, I can assure you, if they're looking through your grant, they're probably looking through your website to understand who you are. What does your website look like? What do your social channels look like? They want to know that you are backing up what you're saying in this document. So I, I have to think that the website is just as critical as the grant itself. So thank you for talking about cultivation. Um, love you forever for that comment alone. Hey friends, we've got to pause the podcast for a minute. We have some really exciting news to share. Yeah, we're partnering up with our friends at Virtuous to co-host this year's free Responsive Nonprofit Summit on April 20th and 21st, and we want to see you there. So come and join thousands of like-minded, forward-thinking nonprofit leaders for two days of fresh insights, helpful workshops, and genuine conversations as we gather virtually from wherever you find yourself in the world. We're curating some amazing panels to help you build better systems and strategies to help you grow your impact. You may even recognize some of our past podcast guests and favorite thought leaders too. Okay, so can we count you in? To join us at the Responsive Nonprofit Summit, visit virtuous.org slash good and register for free. Hey friends, after meeting some of the most visionary leaders and world changers in the nonprofit sector today, we realize they all have one thing in common. They invest in themselves and their teams so they can stay relevant to what's working now to succeed and scale their missions. You know us, we believe education's for all, and that's when we created We Are For Good Pro. Pro is reimagining nonprofit professional development, giving you access to incredible live coaching events with some of the best thought leaders like Kishana Palmer, Lynn Wester, and more. Imagine being able to work through your challenges in real time. That's the power of Pro. Every week, we host a new workshop, giving you the playbook and tools to take immediate action, build your confidence, and grow your impact. Be the pro and get started today with a 14-day free trial. Head over to weareforgoodpro.com slash free. Okay, let's get back to this amazing conversation.
Well, hey, you said something early in the conversation that I want to kind of circle back to that there's just a lot of new opportunities, maybe more so than ever. What you're feeling anecdotally as you're seeing across the sector, what is some like low hanging fruit for organizations that maybe have never stepped into this? Would you say get involved right now? I mean, what is your advice to the small nonprofit that feels intimidated? Should they jump in? Yeah, absolutely. Time to jump in. I would say now. Um, a nonprofit. Look at your non. A nonprofit is a business. That's what it is. Um, don't say, "Oh, got the five hundred one c three paperwork." Let's go after grants. What are you doing to bring in revenue? You have to bring in revenue for your organization for it to last. So, um, grants is like an extra stream, if you will. It's um coupon. This past year at the national conference, one of the presenters, she called a grant a coupon. Instead of you applying funds that you were already going to use to pay for programs and services, you're going to get this coupon to help you um, discount some of that because that's essentially what a grant is. And look at it as the end all be all. But um, again, um, John, just going back to your question, just like how to do this is going back to pitching. You're talking about your nonprofit. You want to pitch confidently. Don't say, oh, we just served 30 girls during the summer. No, we directly serve 30 preteen um, ladies ages 10 to 15. We educate them on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, math. Um, they take like robotics programs. They do math competitions. Um, these are like fields that are traditionally male dominated. But we're t- telling our girls that do well in these fields. Like, hey, you can do this. You can succeed. You can excel. And um you can just share your impact. We've already seen ladies that have increased their confidence, improved their um, academic outcomes when they return to school. We just open them up to new possibilities. So explicitly state what you're doing, put color to it, um, describe the population specifically. So when you, you mention it, I can see these people in my head. I can see these right. young ladies in my head. So it's all about the pitch and being confident and talking about your organization. I got to talk. I want to ask you a question as I'm starting to picture these girls in my head, because I think storytelling is such a powerful component to what we do. And I think the reason that I have felt somewhat distanced from specifically federal grants is I don't feel like there's a lot of room to bring the story in. And I want you to either dispel that for me. And then I want you to talk about where is the opportunity to bring in a story? Is that in the pitch? Is that in, I think of like cover letters that I've put on proposals before where I wanted someone to get to know somebody in my community who's been benefited and changed by our mission or who could be impacted by this. Talk about how you thread storytelling into your grants. Yeah, that's a um, good one. And I'm about to put you up on some more game. One of the secrets (laughs) that we do in our federal application is um, it's like a blur before they even start reading your your proposal. It's this statement from maybe the Washington Post or some the mayor. We have this statement. We paint this picture of um, people in our community and what it looks like and why we're facing these um, challenges. And then we go into discussing the problem and the need statement with all the data and statistics and things. So you're like, where do you put in a story? Where can you even do that? So before they even like start reading the proposal, which is pages and pages and pages long, the first thing they see is a story. Um, it's short, it's impactful, it's probably no more than four sentences, but it says um, directly, to, um, directly to the point and gives you an opportunity to paint a picture of who you're talking about. Well, I think, you know, I'd love to kind of go back and let's talk about this government funding because so much is changing at the federal level. And I think that's why it's so intimidating. At least it would be for me. Um, do you see in 
insights into just the nuance of how the political changing landscape is affecting federal funding right now? Yes, do I. Um, So it's so based on who's in the White House, who our presidents are, it's based on their priorities. Um, That's when funding's priorities or shift or change. So I'll never forget in 2017, around like March or April that year, um, me and a colleague spent hours putting together a federal grant application to the Health and Human Services Department. And it was a program to provide career pathways for refugees. And if you remember 2017, I believe that was President Trump's first year Mm -hmm. in office and um, spent time putting together this um, application, reviewing the priorities, um, the data, studying the RFP, drafting the narrative, drafting the budget. And we submitted on time and we're so proud of our work. And weeks later, we get a message that this program is no longer being funded and that they're not even reviewing applications. And as someone who's received rejections or declines, this probably was more painful because you can't get any feedback. Nobody's even looking at your proposal. Even if you decline it, like, tell me what we did wrong. Well, how can we make it better? They're just not looking at it at all. And that's just something that I'll never forget. But of course, that was um, under President Obama. That was his focus, his priority. And then President Trump, um, he had different priorities. So those, those funds essentially went away or are no longer in the budget. So it's important to understand who's in the administration, what their priorities are. You have to shift and adjust to that. You have to be a chameleon in this, in this, in this grant world, um, so to speak. So just understanding priorities, no, neither one better or worse than, than the other. I let people, other people argue about that, but it just is what it is. And now with President Biden, a lot of his focus is pandemic readiness, prevention and things like that. So it's knowing, it's important to know what the political focus is, um, knowing the high level priorities. You don't have to read the entire budget that comes out of the White House, but just knowing those high level points of priority is critical for this industry. So, yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. And it makes so much sense when you say it out loud. And and I also think it gives efficacy to, if you need some help with a federal grant, go get an expert like Deronda out there because not her first rodeo. (laughs) I I just do think it can accelerate the process a little bit more if this is not your jam. And just having somebody to be in lockstep with as you walk through this process is comforting. But I have to say this, and I would love for you to respond to it because one thing that we're noticing as people are coming, I don't want to say we're coming out of the pandemic, but we're actually starting to adjust to life that the pandemic has created. And we're seeing so many small nonprofits and honestly, even mid-sized nonprofits who have put all of their eggs in the grant basket. And they are struggling as for what you said, for many reasons, as funding sort of froze during pandemic or priorities shifted. And we talk so much on this podcast about the importance of diversifying your revenue. So yes, we want you to chase grants, but we don't want you to chase only grants. There is so much offering today in the way that people can give like through mobile and through digital and hybrid events. There's so many different avenues. And I would love for you to even just respond to that if you've seen that issue with any of your clients as well. Just external factors that potentially impact funding. Going back to COVID, one critical factor that we've seen over these last, what, going into two years of this um, is um, the pandemic. And I've seen funders' response to it right when it happened, March 2020, April 2020, May 2020. They released a lot of COVID response grants. Right. And I would like to say I applied for more than those that I've 
am willing to admit, but there was <laughs> just so many that were released. It was numerous COVID response grants. And for those funders that had already funded your programs for that year, when that happened, they just responded. I mean, they just responded so well. They were like, please redirect these funds to where you see fit. You don't have to use them specifically for what you know we stated initially. They were just really wanted organizations to keep their head above water when so many were furloughing or um, having to lay off staff. So just really being um, intentional with their funding. Um, I think funders did a great job in responding um, when those things happened. Um, it was very um, inspiring to see um, external factors um, that could affect um, funding is the biggest one that we're dealing with right now, especially since I've been, been, been in this in this world. I mean, you've given us so much good tactical advice. You know, all this points back to partnering with visionary ideas, people moving money philanthropically into the sector. I know we're big believers in it. I know you believe in the power of philanthropy. Is there a story or a moment that it's really, philanthropy has really touched you in your life that you'd be willing to share today? Yes. Um, one thing that stood out to me was probably one of my largest um, contracts, if you will. I worked for um, one of the largest housing providers in Atlanta in the region. And I don't know, they may have 80 staff members, maybe not as many, but their first donors or their their core donors or individual donors is their staff. And I just thought that that really um, spoke volumes. To me, that was meaningful. It was impactful. It shows how they felt about the organization that they work for. And it was just inspiring to see. You are absolutely right. The the power of what that says without them saying anything is something that is culture impact and community impacting. And I will just say like a little pro tip for everybody out there. Don't just assume that your people are going to give. And and if they do, steward them maybe as as well as you would your top donor. These are your people that are closest to you because we believe so much in the power of philanthropy, how it changes not only the beneficiary, but the giver. And I really think that if you can carve out some of your budget, if you have budget within your personal family, you know, do that for yourself. It's going to be life-giving. Lean into it. It really will just awaken something very special inside you. So thank you for lifting that. But we, you know, we end all of our conversations, Deronda, with a one good thing, be a habit, a piece of advice. What do you want to offer up to our community today? Yeah, I would say um, one good thing is do your one good thing and do it well. Um, as a grant writer, I don't try to do graphic design. I don't try to build websites. I don't try to be a fitness instructor. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just something I don't try to do. So whatever it is that you do, do your one good thing and do it well. Even within the grant writing space, I focus on um, specific nonprofits, healthcare, housing, workforce development, and K-12 education. Like um, The one thing that I do well... Um, do that well. I would just say that to everyone. That's some just some things that I just kind of like tell myself as my own daily affirmation. Because you can get on social media and see all these different things and people making money doing this and doing that. Um, but honing in and focusing on your good thing, your one good thing, and just doing that well and doing it um, at a high level, at a high effort. This has been so fun and such a good conversation. Would you tell people how they can connect with you and everything happening at June 1st? Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, you can connect me, junefirstfirm.com. I give out a lot of ton free resources to nonprofits. If you go to my website and click on services, and you can drop in your information right there. And also, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so connect with me there and type in my name, and I'll come right on up and um, let me know you 
heard me on this wonderful We Are For Good podcast. And I'll be happy to connect with you and talk to you on there. Man, I just really thank you so much for this conversation. I feel my bravery is a little more emboldened. I might actually try to go wade into the federal grant (laughs) area if if I was still in a nonprofit. And I think it's just a really great conversation to encourage everybody out there that you can do this. You don't need to go it alone. Find find a little team to put together, but you can do this and it can have really um, great inroads and impact at the end. So thank you so much for coming into our community and we just wish you the best at June 1st. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much that Auth0 login experience can do. Visit Auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.